All right. It's fantastic news. I think I managed to injure myself more when I, after I'd been prayed for, and I was testing it. I was just testing if that's any better. And ah, no, it's, it's worse. <laughs> so it's great news to hear that <laughs> Sarah's been healed. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, you might want to get it out. And if you haven't got one, um, put your hand up, and one will be delivered to you, and you can borrow one. The words will also appear on the screen because uh, Mike's going to work hard at putting them up. He doesn't know where though. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever watched the TV program, Who Do You Think You Are? Who's watched Who Do You Think You Are? Oh, quite a lot. That's cool. Who Do You Think You Are is, um, is a kind of family history program. It's uh, one of these things where celebrities go back and they try and find out about the past history of their family and uh, who, their, who their grandparents, their great-grandparents, going right back, what they were like, what sort of they did. Um, they often have some sort of scandal involved that they find out about, or some shocking news that they, uh, that they discover. Um, well, today, we are going to do a kind of biblical, who do you think you are? Um, and uh, we don't have to go trawling through lots of uh, dusty old libraries and archives uh, to do that, because we've got it all here in the Bible. So um, what we're going to do, we're going to start off in the book of Romans, chapter 4. Arnold's uh, not got anything to worry about. I'm not going to start an alternative series in Romans. Um, But Romans chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 16, which says this, Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to of those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He's our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. So we find out in Romans chapter 4 here that we are the children of Abraham. He is our father. Abraham is described as our father. So we're going to do a little who do you think you are, and we're going to go back and find out about Abraham, and we're going to find out about Abraham's uh, descendants as well, and just find out where we actually come from. Um, so what we're going to do, um, because the reason, the reason that we're going to do that is because Abraham is what we call a patriarch. Um, he's a man through whom a new way of life comes, a new community of people. So if we're his children, we're patterned on him in some way. So we can find out quite a lot about him. We can find out about ourselves. Um, the New Testament writers obviously thought it was important that he was an important guy because they mention him a lot. Abraham is mentioned in about half the books of the New Testament. He's mentioned in all four Gospels. Jesus talks about him a lot. And in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the uh, chapter on the heroes of the faith, where lots of people are listed, Abraham gets more verses than anyone else. In fact, the author then goes on to say, I don't have time to talk about these people. Well, he's talked quite a lot about Abraham. That's probably why he doesn't have the time. So let's go back to Genesis and find out more. Uh, We're going to read from Genesis chapter 11 and from verse 27. And we'll read through to chapter 12, verse 9, which says this. This is the account of Terah, or Terah, 
Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no children. Terah took his son Abraham, his, Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they got to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Lord said, had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Okay, we're going to find out a little bit more about Abraham. Now, when we read accounts of, of genealogies, or who was the father of who, and who was the brother and sister of who, we can get a little bit confused. Um, so, following Dave Devonish's example last week, if you were at North, I'm going to uh, get some volunteers out to just pretend to be these characters, so we can work out exactly who is who in this family tree. So, if you're sitting on the front row, you're probably quite a lot of risk. Um, we're going to start with um, Terah. Uh, we'll, we'll start with uh, Alistair, can come and be him. Um, now, I don't know where you can stand. Come and stand on the stage here behind me. Okay, here is Terah, and he had three sons. He had Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So we need three other blokes to quickly come up and be sons of Terah. Okay. Just there. Well, you've got you've got chance to come out in a minute. There's plenty of chance. Okay, so here we have. Um, who who can we? Who can you be? You can be. What were the sons' names? Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So you can be. You can be Abram. <laughs> you can be Nahor, and you can be Haran. That's not a good one to be, but never mind. <laughs> All right. Now Abram, we find out marries. Sarai. Who wants to be Sarai? (laughs) Now, Sarai means princess. Very appropriate. appropriate. (laughs) Possibly a bit high maintenance. (laughs) If you call if you want to call your kids princess, it's like. (laughs) Anyway. The good news is, Sarai was 
really gorgeous. Because, and we, we find out she was really gorgeous in the next chapter, actually. Um, in chapter, in chapter 12, uh, it says the, uh, he came to Egypt. The Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. Abraham doesn't behave too well towards Sarai at that point. But she's a very beautiful woman. In fact, she gets, she gets fancied by the Pharaoh. Bearing in mind that at this point, Sarai is 65 years old. So she's, she's a bit of a stunner for the Pharaoh to fancy her at uh, 65 years old. There we go. There's Sarai. Um, now, actually the bad news is that Sarai, because Abraham actually, what he does is he pretends that Sarai is his sister. And then we actually find out later on that Sarai actually is his sister. In Genesis 20, verse 12, because <laughs> Abraham does this twice, in Genesis 20, verse 12, when he's explaining to this guy Abimelech, who's taken her in, um, he says, um, besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not my mother, and she became my wife. So Terah is actually the dad of Sarai, as well as the dad of Abram. And they marry each other. That's not good. In Leviticus 20, Leviticus 18 verse 9, explicitly says, do not do that. Don't marry your sister. Well, Leviticus hadn't been written at that point, but Abraham did. All right, so there's a bit of incest going on there. Never mind. Um, (laughs) Abraham and Sarai have got no children. They're barren. Uh, She's barren. But Abraham's name actually means exalted father. That's not a great name to have when you've got no children. He's probably going to get laughed at quite a lot. You know, he's, 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 this guy's going around, gorgeous wife, no kids. What's your name? Exalted father. But you're not a father. Good news was, later on in chapter 17, Abraham gets his name changed by God to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Kind of gets worse. <laughs> he's going to get laughed at quite a lot. Anyway, let's, that's Abraham, that's Sarah, Sarai. Now, Haran, he had, who's Haran? That's you. No, that's you. Yeah. Um, he had two children. Okay, you had two children. Uh, one male, one female. Lot and Milka. Milka. She got into making chocolate bars, I think. Um, who wants to be Lot and Milka? Oh, here's Lot and Milka. Here we come. Up you come. Stand by, uh, stand by, Dad. You want to move over that way a little bit? All right. Now, Milka then decides she is going to marry Nahor. <laughs> so off you go to Nahor. <laughs> it's all a little bit weird. <laughs> so, it's a little bit too much family going on to my liking. <laughs> but that's what happens. <laughs> Milka marries Nahor. That's kind of the last we hear of you. Um, go, off, go off and make chocolate bars somewhere. Um, and then Haran dies. Oh dear. You can, you can go and sit down. And it appears that Lot, who is left parentless, he goes and kind of gets adopted by Abraham and Sarai. So you can go over there and be with them. All right. You two, you two can go and sit down as well because you, you're at the end of it. So th- this is kind of the, the family situation. Well done. 
<laughs> this is the family situation that we end up with, okay? So you can kind of see who's who here. So Lot's been, I don't like this screen here. Lot's been adopted by Abraham and Sarai. Abraham and Sarai are married, even though they're kind of brother and sister. And Terah is, is kind of still in there. All right. Well, you can, you can go and sit down now just so that you can, but thank you. Okay. They lived in a place called Ur. <laughs> Must have been a bit confusing as well. Where do you live? Ur. <laughs> Think about it. Where do you live? Ur. Ur is in Babylon, which we read about in the Bible just before this account, because um, we read about the Tower of Babel, which is, which is the same place. The Hebrew word, which is used in, in the Old Testament, is Babel. And the Greek word, which we find in the New Testament, is Babylon. It's the same place, okay? Babel, Babylon. And that's where they live. And we see, in, earlier on in chapter 11, that this is where people have been trying to make a name for themselves. They've been trying to make a big tower in the city um, to kind of reach to heaven. And God ends up thwarting their plans... And causing confusion, he confuses all their language. Because God hates people trying to make a name for themselves. And that was what was going on. So, it wasn't really a great place for Abraham to be born. And and to be honest, Terah wasn't a really a great dad to be born to. Um, Joshua 24 and verse 2 tells us, and this is what Joshua says. Joshua says to all the people... This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him through Canaan, and I gave him many descendants. So, forefathers, including Terah, lived beyond the river and they worshipped other gods. There was a lot of gods worshipped in Babel or Babylon or Ur, um, including... The moon, the moon god, um, probably explains a bit about Alistair's uh, interest in the moon. But uh, but Abraham, Abraham would have been brought up that way as well. So he would have been brought up in a pagan society, worshipping other gods. So it wasn't a very hopeful start for someone who was going to become a patriarch. But he was the man that God had chosen. He's probably not the sort of man that we would choose to change the world. You know, he's an old guy. By the time he's in, he leaves Haran, he was 75. Um, so I was 65. So an old guy living in a pagan city with a godless dad. He's got a wife who's actually his sister. So he's committing incest with. And they've got no kids. Not the sort of hopeful situation for someone who's going to be a world changer. It looks like he's lived his life and really he's a bit of a mess. A bit of a mess. But that is just the sort of person that God always chooses. All we need to do is look at Jesus' family history. You know, Jesus is born uh, to just a young girl, an ordinary young girl in, a, in an out-of-the-way place. In, you know, living not a big special place, Nazareth in Bethlehem where he was born. Not too great. Adoptive dad, Joseph. And it's all a bit of a mess at the start, isn't it? And it carries on. Who are the people who Jesus chooses? Jesus chooses fishermen. 
And tax collectors, again, not the sort of people you'd think, oh, these are going to be world changers. God is still choosing people to use and to work through who no one else would want to choose. No one else is going to want to, to raise those people up, but God does. Abraham didn't go looking for God. God went looking for him. God spoke to Abraham. Abraham wasn't seemingly interested. And it's still the same for us today. God finds us, not vice versa. You see, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26... Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in him. Before him. No one may boast before him. In fact, we do boast in God. That's who God chooses. He chooses people who aren't anything because it's he who wants the glory. It's God who deserves the glory. And this is what God has done in Abraham. And this is what God is doing today. So if you're sitting there this morning and thinking, well, I've not had a great start in life. Actually, life's not treated me very well. Things that, I've made a mess of it. You know, you've probably not made as big a mess of it as Abraham has. You've probably not married your sister or your brother. You know, don't despair. You are just the sort of person that God is choosing to work powerfully through. And God is still speaking to people like Abraham who haven't got the perfect life, who have been worshipping the wrong gods. Mostly in our society, the, the, the wrong gods are ourselves. We worship ourselves or we worship money or we worship whatever it is but we're not worshipping the true and living God. So that's the history of Abraham. And then we find at the start, at the end of chapter 11, that Terah, Abraham, Lot and Sarai move from Ur to go to Canaan. God has called them to go to Canaan, but they actually settle in Haran to start off with, which is where Terah eventually dies. Now, as we read this text here, it's, it seems to say in verse 31, Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter, and they set off. It sounds as though Terah is the one leading the way, and he's the one who's heard from God. But actually, Acts chapter 7 tells us that wasn't the case. Acts chapter 7, and verse 2, um, Stephen's explaining this in his speech to the Sanhedrin. He says, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, in Ur, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and he settled in Haran. So God spoke to Abraham while they were still living in Ur. That's when he spoke to him. And it wasn't Haran who was the one who God spoke to. It wasn't Haran who was leading the way. Um, Sorry, not Haran, Terah, who was leading the way. It wasn't Terah who was leading the way. He was the father, he was the head of the household. So that's why it says he took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot and Sarai. 
But it was Abraham who was setting the agenda. Because Abraham had heard from God. And then it says they settled in Haran and Terah died there. Actually, Terah didn't want to go all of the way into Canaan. It looks as though Abraham has sort of said, look, I've heard from God. We need to go to this land, Canaan. I'm going to take my wife with me and I'm going to take Lot with me as well because we kind of adopted him. And, and it looks like Terah's sort of going, oh, all right, well, I'll go with you. And, it, and they get to Haran, and Haran's kind of, and Terah's going, well, actually, Haran seems quite a cool place. Can we not just stay here? And they stay for a while. Now, maybe they stay for a while because Abraham's thinking, look, I really want to persuade my dad to come with me. I really want to just, I really want my dad to come with me and, and follow God and come into, come into, into the new land that God's promised us. And maybe he stops there for a while and, and there's this kind of family loyalty thing going on as well. Well, you know, maybe I, I shouldn't leave them. No. Terah doesn't want to go any further. Haran's also got some moon worshippers. That's still a place where people worship the moon. He didn't want to go all the way into Canaan. He didn't want to leave behind what he had. How sad. How sad. He's come so far. He's left the comfort of Ur, but he can't bring himself to leave it behind in Haran. And, and the truth is, some people just can never manage to bring themselves to leave their old way of life behind them when they hear from God. They might come so far along the journey. Maybe people come along to a church meeting and, or they, they get healed or, or they hear something from God and they think, yeah, actually I've seen something different. I'm, I'm going to follow this God for a bit. And God leads them along a certain way. But you see, the thing is, God says, leave behind the past. Leave behind your old ways. Leave behind your old life. And that's a big challenge for people. And some people never quite can do it. Some people say, but I just want to, I've moved a bit, but I I don't want to give it all up. I've given some up, but can I not still do that? Can I not still have those interests? Can I not still live my life in this way? Can I still not be in control of my life for a bit? And God gives us the choice. God gave Terah the choice, and Terah decided he was going to stay. He was going to stay in Haran. And then we just hear the words, and he died in Haran. And that's it. That's it. And he died. Abraham goes on to be the patriarch. Abraham goes on to be the father of those with faith. Terah didn't make it. He died. And that's it. And that's what we will find. We can cling on to the things of this world. We can say, oh no, there's other things that are more important. I'm not going to let go of everything. In the end, we will die. Each one of us. How sad if we don't come into what God has for us. So here at the start of chapter 12, we get God speaking to Abraham. Leave your country, leave your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Abraham's basically being asked to give up everything that he knows. Everything that he knows. And go somewhere else. And he's thinking, well, where am I going? Oh, I'll show you. Well, you're not going to tell me where to go, where I'm going. No, I'll show you as you go. 
That's a real test of faith. That's the test of faith that Terah wasn't able to come through in. And as we say, maybe Abram is just waiting to see if he can persuade him. In the end, in the end, he has to act. And in faith, he gets hold of what Jesus says, actually, in Matthew 10 and verse 37. And Jesus says in Matthew 10 and verse 37, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me. And anyone who doesn't take up his cross and follow of me, follow me, isn't worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There are times that come when, when however much we're loyal to our family, however much we love them, however much we want them to come where we're going and we feel God's leading us, there comes a time when we have to say, actually, I know what God is calling me to do, and I have to do that despite my mum and dad not agreeing, despite my family not understanding, despite the opposition that might come. And that doesn't mean that we don't love them. It means we love Jesus more. It means we love God more than our family. And we will obey God and do what God says more than we will obey and do what our family say. Yes, there might be times where we say, look, will you come along with us? Will you, will you, will you kind of listen to what I've got to say? I want you on the journey with me, but maybe there's times when we have to say, okay, you stay here, but I'm going on. I'm going on into what God has got for me. That's what Abraham did. Abraham did. And he's an old man, 75 years old. God's asking him to leave everything. Leave his home, leave his family, everyone who's related to him, leave his, his friends, leave, leave his mates that he went playing snooker with. Everyone. Everyone left behind. And God doesn't even say where he's going to. He just says, I'm going to show you. You know, maybe at, at 75 years old, Abraham's thinking about winding down, putting his feet up a bit, getting some nice retirement place. That's not what God had in mind. God doesn't do retirement. God was starting with Abraham at 75 years old. And off he went. He left everything. He set out not knowing where he was going. John Calvin translates it as this. He says, God told Abraham, close your eyes and take my hand. Close your eyes and take my hand. Basically, stay close to me. Trust in me. I will lead you. Don't worry about it. And then God makes these promises to Abraham in verse 2 of chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed by you. What amazing promises. All about God's blessing. All about God promising to pour out good things into Abraham's life. Good things into Abraham's descendants' lives. And in Genesis, blessing really is, is summarized by, characterized by long life and wealth and prosperity and good harvest and children. Something that Abraham doesn't have at the moment. And today people might sort of say those things are a good luck when people have those or success in their life. For those people who believe in God, they're blessings. That's what God's blessings are on earth. 
Abraham was asked to leave all everything he knew, but he was promised much better in the future. Much better. You're going to have so many blessings, God says. He doesn't know how it's going to pan out. He doesn't know what's going to happen in his life, but he's promised blessings. That's the same for us too. We might be in a situation very much like Abraham's. Maybe there's not much going on for us. Maybe we think we've not had a lot of luck in our lives or a lot of success in our lives. But we keep plugging away at it. And the word today is, leave it all behind. You might be here today and you don't know God. You've never taken that step and walked and started to follow Jesus in your life. Become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of his. And there's things that you're thinking, you know, I want to, I want to, I'm hearing the word to follow, but I don't know if I can leave this behind. The promise is, you might not know where you're going. You might not know what is ahead of you. But turn, leave behind your old life, and come into what I've got for you, and there'll be lots of blessings. Is it this mic? Because I can swap it if it is. What does that mean? Use the handle. Okay. I'll just turn this off. Okay. You might have that that's been offered to you by God. And you think, do I dare leave behind what I had? Do I dare leave be- I mean, I know it's not gone well for me in my life so far, but it's all I know. You know, that, there's that phrase, isn't there? Better the devil you know. That's what people think. Oh, I, I hear all these promises. I hear these things about God, but I don't know. What's my life going to be like? Some people really worry about that. If I give my life to God, what's my life going to be like? Will I have to do this? Will I have to do that? Will I have to give up that? Will I be able to marry this person that I, I kind of want to marry? Will I be able to do this? Or, or Will I have success? Will I have children? Will I have wealth? I don't know. I don't want to take the risk. God says, I'm going to lead you. And I'm not going to tell you where you're going. But I tell you, you will be blessed. You will receive blessings. And then you have to make a decision. I don't know. This isn't great, but better the devil you know. Yeah, but you could be like terror. You could just stay there and die. And never come into what God has got for you. How are you going to respond? Will you believe and take hold of God's hands? Close your eyes and take my hand, Calvin says. Will you do that? Will you take hold? Will you put your trust in him for the future? Will you believe all the blessings that he wants to pour out on your life? Or are you going to be like Terah and just die? Terah was looking back. He was looking back to what he thought he was losing. I know, I'm not going to lose it all. Abraham was looking forward. He wasn't looking back to Babel. He was looking forward. Hebrews 11.10 says he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder was God. That's what motivated him forward. That's what motivated him in his walk with God. He was looking forward and he was trusting in God. But how impossible would these promises have seemed to Abraham anyway? It's not as though it's likely to happen. A 75-year-old bloke, and he's hearing these promises, I will make you into a great nation. Will you? I will make your name great. I will. All peoples on earth will be blessed by you. Really? By me? Some old bloke, all peoples on earth will be blessed by me. 
And then you, you bring into the promise that God says in verse 7 of chapter 12. To your offspring, I will give this land. That's when he's in the land of Canaan. Lots of people live in there, all the Canaanites. So Abraham's just this old bloke wandering through the land. Oh, this is the land you're going to give me, is it God? Well, there's a lot of people here. Yeah, this is what I'm going to give you. And to your offspring. And Abraham's probably thinking, what? God, has it escaped your notice? I haven't got any offspring. I've not got any children. And even if I had, how are, how are they going to have this land? It's huge. And there's people in it. The promises seem impossible. Absolutely impossible. How's it going to happen? But God is sovereign. You see, God could say about a land, Canaan, that had people living in it who were all worshipping other gods. None of them were worshipping him. But actually, God is the God of heaven and earth. It was God who created that land. So he's still sovereign over it. So God could say, I'm going to give it to you. Is it yours in the first place? No one seems to be worshipping you there, God. If it's mine, I'm going to give it to you. There can be situations where we can think, well, where's God in this situation? How can God turn that around? God's not, God doesn't even seem to be in it. Yes, he is. He's sovereign. He's the Lord of the heaven and earth. He's, he has authority. He sits on the throne. God can do whatever he wants. But it's impossible. Look at all these obstacles and all these people. And God, you're nowhere. Yeah, but I'm sovereign. And I'm in control. God, how can you give me a child when I'm 65? And my wife, she's gorgeous, but she's, she's, she's 65 and, and I'm 75. And how's it going to happen? Yeah, but I'm in control. I can do whatever I want, says God. And we, we can look back and we can see how God's done it. We can say, oh yeah, he did it. It was amazing, wasn't it? And we can, we can kind of gloss over it. Oh yeah, God did give Abraham uh, a child. And then, yeah, people did come and then Jesus came. And then, oh yeah, so all nations are being blessed by Abraham. But for Abraham at the time, what's he? he's not going to see all that. He can't see that. He can't see what God's going to do. So much easier looking from the other side of it. And we might face challenges in our life and think, how's God going to do that? But it's so much easier to look back. Oh yeah, God sorted that out for me. Oh, God healed me then. Oh, God led me through that. But we can still be facing huge obstacles today and think, I, don't be- I can't believe God's going to do it. Of course he's going to do it. If he's promised he will, he will do it. How amazing then, Abraham just responded. In verse 4 it says, simply, Abraham left as the Lord had told him. God told him, so he did it. If God tells us to do something, then the best idea is just to trust him and believe him. However impossible it seems, just believe him, just trust him. It's interesting as well, isn't it, that in these promises, God says, I will make your name great. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. Abraham came from from where Babel was. He came from Babylon. What was the problem with Babel? They wanted to make their name great. They wanted to make something of themselves. And God said, no, I don't want you to make something of yourself. I'm going to bring judgment on you. I'm going to confuse your languages. I'm going to mess up your plans. You're not going to make your own name great. And then he takes Abraham out of that very place and he goes, do you know what? I'm going to make your name great. It's the same thing, apart from different. Because 
people wanted to make their own name great. And God wanted to make Abraham's name great. And that's very different. We can sometimes get hold of, of, of a bit of a warped view of, of this. Because we can, we can battle against making our own name great. You know, when we don't know God, we want to make something of ourselves. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be well thought of or well respected. Or for some of us, we want to be famous. We want to, we want to just get people speaking well of us. And God says, no, don't, don't do that with yourself. Don't try and make something of yourself. Don't try and big yourself up and be something that is just false. And so when we get to know God, we can think, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be humble now. I'm, I, God, it's, it's all about you. It's not about me. And, and sometimes God can come in and say to us, now I want to do this with you. Oh, no, God, no, don't do that with me. No. We can think that's humility. That's not humility. That's disobedience. God wants to do that through us. Oh, no, but God, I've understood. I don't want my name to be, to be great. What if God wants to make your name great? God might want to. The same, the same with the church. We, we, can, we can be serving God here, and, and we're not about making ourselves famous. We don't want to be known as the best church in the city. We don't want to make our name or, or proclaim ourselves to be better than anyone else. But what if God wants to do that? Are we going to stop him? I don't know if he does, but he might. It's not, it's not a problem for our name to be made great if God does that. It's not a problem to be rich and successful if God wants that for us. It's a problem when we say, I'm going to set out to be rich and successful and I'm going to make it happen. That's a problem. But when God says, I'm going to do that, that's not a problem. Because God's doing it and we turn the blessing and the honour and the glory to him. The glory goes to God. God made Abraham's name great. Not himself. Not himself. And that blessing of Abraham was going to be passed on to other people. He said he would be a blessing. In fact, all peoples on earth would be blessed by him. And if we're blessed by God, that's what we're to do. We're to bless other people. We pass on that blessing to others. The danger is that we start being blessed by God and we say, oh, thank you, God, and we hold it to ourselves in whatever that is. God says, I'm going to give you these gifts. Oh, fantastic, God. Right, I've got these gifts now. Fantastic. That's really going to help me. No, they're for other people. The gifts that we have, the gifts of the Spirit, are for the strengthening and the upbuilding of the church. We're to be generous with what we've got. God says, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you wealthy. Fantastic. Oh, great. I'll keep all that wealth to myself then. No, you use that wealth to bless others. You use it to give back to God. You use it to bless other people. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. Once we start to close our hands and grasp what God's given to us, rather than give it out, actually our hands aren't even open to receive from God anymore. So God is choosing to bless a Babylonian. God's judgment on Babel isn't the last word. His grace was the last word. And that's always the case. Whenever God brings judgment, and he does bring judgment, he is a God who judges. He is a God who doesn't like sin. He hates it. He hates pride. He hates sin. He brings judgment to it. But there's always hope. There's always mercy. There's always grace. As we see, as we continue to look through Abraham's life, and indeed the rest of the Bible. 
God blesses us when we don't deserve it. That's what he did. That's what he did in sending Jesus. He sends Jesus to die while we were still sinners. While we were still lost. While we were still rebellious against God. That's when God blesses us. He sends Jesus. And he blesses us so we'll be a blessing to others. We've received his mercy. Those of us who know God. Those of us who know the forgiveness of Jesus. We've received that. And then we're to pass it on to others. We're to tell others about it. We don't just keep it to ourselves. It's wonderful news about a wonderful God. And we are to tell the world and bless the world. And share these blessings with others who don't know. So Abraham goes. And he travels into Canaan. And he travels, he continues to travel throughout the land. He goes to Shechem. Where he gets this second promise of God, from God. He hears from God again. To your offspring I will give this land. And so he responds and he builds an altar there. And he worships. It's a, it's a simple sign. A simple physical response. That he believes God. He believes God is going to give this land to his descendants. It looks impossible. There's all these people. No, this is where I'm going to give you a promise, says God. Okay. I'm going to believe you, says Abraham. I'm going to build an altar. It's a physical sign. You know, people would have walked past it. What's this, what's this pile of stones here? What's all this about? Well, that's where Abraham put his mark. And he said, I'm believing God. I'm believing God in the face of all obstacles, in the face of everything that my, uh, my, everything else is telling me apart from God. But God's told me it's different and I'm believing him and I'm worshipping him. And so he worships. He builds an altar. He does it again. He does it again. He goes on to uh, to the hills east of Bethel. And he builds an altar there. And he calls on the name of the Lord. He's saying, I'm believing. I'm believing God. And we've received promises from God too, as a church. We've received promises from God. We've received promises that many people will come and worship here. We've received promises of amazing, miraculous healings happen. We've, seen, we've received promises of salvation. People queuing outside the doors. Many things happening. And we're going to see that Abraham, when he receives this promise, he doesn't come into it straight away. He's got these promises. He's heard from God. He doesn't have a child the next year. We're going to see that later on. He's going to go through all sorts of battles. He's not always going to get it right. He's going to mess up a lot, to be honest. But he's going to hold on to God's promise in the end. And, and, and he goes through that period of waiting and testing. And some of them, they don't even come out till he's died. But God does bring about his promises. And he will do with us. And, and maybe we think, well, actually, some of these promises that, Mark, you've just said about, they were, they were given to us ages ago. You know, maybe 10, 12 years ago. And we've been around and we've been believing it. But to be honest now... It's beginning to seem as though maybe we got it wrong. Maybe we didn't hear God after all. You know, there's about the same number of people here as we're here 10 years ago. Maybe a few more. Not a lot. What's happening? What's going on? God's saying, don't stop believing. God promises and it will come about. If God says something will happen... It will come about. We might have got jaded or cynical. Unbelief might have set in. But let's come back to God. Let's remember the promises. 
Abraham heard the promise and he said, I'm going to build an altar there. And it, and it can remind him, I mean, if he ever passed that way again, oh, that's where, that's where I built the altar. That's where I heard from God. Yeah, God gave me a promise there. Sometimes it's good to remind ourselves of what God has said, what God has done. And we say, actually, you know, I was believing then and now I'm not so sure. But I'm going to go back and I'm going to worship God again and I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe in a God who knows where we're headed, even if I don't know where we're headed. Even if I don't know what's going on in my life at the moment. Where's it, where's it going, God? I don't know. God's saying, just trust in me. Just take my hand. I will show you. Well, and I've got to leave this behind. Yep, just walk with me. Where I lead you. And worship me. Like Abraham who travelled across the land which God would give, we are to spiritually travel the land in faith of what God's going to bring about. And, and, and also, not just for individual promises for us as a church, but for what God has promised in the future for those who love him. God has given great promises. Promises that one day there will be no more pain. In Revelation 21 verse 4 it says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And that's the promise we have. That one day God is going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to transform this earth that we've got. This earth will be no more, but it will be replaced by a new heaven, a new created heaven and earth that God brings about when Jesus returns. And and there won't be any sickness and there won't be any mourning or sadness or pain or death. And we can think, but God, I don't see it here. No, we don't see it here, but it will come. And God's saying to us, travel this land that I give you and, and act in a way that is in accordance with what I'm going to bring about. So feed the hungry. Because one day there will be no more hungry. Comfort those who weep and mourn. Because one day there won't be anyone who weeps and mourns. Heal the sick. Because one day there won't be sick anymore. Show hospitality to strangers. Because one day there won't be loneliness anymore. Preach the good news of the kingdom. Be witnesses of Jesus in anticipation of this new heaven and new earth coming about. The kingdom is coming. But it's here as well, partly. And we can help bring about and advance that kingdom for God. And we act in faith and we travel the land. We travel our city. We travel our nation. We travel the streets around ourselves. And we say we're believing God's promises. And we're going to act accordingly. And we will never fully come into that here on earth. Before Jesus returns, we will only see glimpses of it. We will only see shadows of it. We won't see everyone comforted. We won't see everyone healed. But we will see some. Because it's a a shadowing of what is coming, a foreshadowing. So let's not just get too disheartened. Well, why wasn't so-and-so healed? Why why has so-and-so died? Why has that happened? Why is that person not really able to be comforted? Why has that person not come through? Well, because this is only shadows of what is to come. But God will bring about all of those things. And we will see people healed. And we will see demons, people set free from, from demonic strongholds. And we will see people comforted. And until then... Until we finally inherit what God asks for us, we build altars in faith and we worship. 
We call on the name of the Lord Jesus. We take his hand and we trust him to lead us. And we receive his blessings and we bless others. And we always give the glory to God. However great he wants to make us, individually, as a church, the glory goes to God. The glory goes to Jesus who died for us and called us when we were lost in our sin. And who ultimately is going to lead us to eternal life with him. So let's stand and let's praise and worship our amazing God.